So, um, last week we began a journey into the book of Romans, and I introduced the book, and we answered the five W questions, so the who, what, when, where, and why, and then we read the first seven verses. Um, Tonight, we're going to sort of have a part two of that introduction, Um, and that's because Paul doesn't quite get into the meat of his message yet. And so this is just sort of a recap of last week, and we're going to read verses um, 8 through 17 tonight as well, because those are part of Paul's greeting also. Um, So we will revisit verses 1 through 7 and our five W's, and then we will move on to um, 8 through 17 of chapter 1. So why revisit? Um, Yeah, because the content of what Romans is about is sort of answered here and the why of Paul writing is answered here. So last week um, we sort of opened up with this idea that it can be hard to learn something new sometimes when the language feels foreign um, and that can sort of prevent me from wanting to dive into things um, because I feel sort of incompetent from the very start and um, Romans can sometimes feel this way for a lot of people and to be honest it was feeling that way for me before I started to study it a little deeper Um, and I used this analogy that I really liked from a Bible teacher from N.T. Wright he talked about how Romans is sort of like um, missions to Mars like you know that there's life there could even be life there and there's really important things to discover but it we can kind of get bogged down in it and so it feels like these failed missions to Mars sometimes um but Romans is going to take some determination and effort um to understand but I promise that it's going to be worth it and that we won't do it all alone that we're going to do it together um so tonight I'm going to give us a lot of information but the goal is not to just be informed the goal is for us to be transformed and um spiritually formed by the book of Romans, by God, as we study the book of Romans. Um, So a couple of famous teachers and scholars have said on the book of Romans, um, Martin Luther, um, before an encounter with the book of Romans, really was this German monk who kind of thought that righteousness and being right with God came from his own works, from his own effort, and then reading Romans realized that God provides grace, and um, that grace comes through faith. He said that Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel, that it's the absolute epitome of the gospel. And John Calvin, another reformer in the early church, um, well, the mid-centuries church, Um, He says, when anyone understands this epistle, this letter, he has a passage opened up to him to understanding of the whole scripture. So Calvin thought that understanding Romans can help you understand the whole Bible. And then Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was an English poet and um, a literary critic, he said that Romans is the most profound work in existence which I think is pretty amazing. The most profound work in existence. Well, you know, the Bible, we could say that of the Bible being the most profound work in existence, but I think that 
a literary critic thinking Romans is is pretty cool. Um, so tonight, discussion questions to get us started. Um, and the first one is the question that I left us with last week: How does the or what does the gospel mean to you, and how does it affect your life? And then the second question is: What is faith? So, <clears throat> looking up these words, gospel and faith, in um, a Bible dictionary this week. Um, gospel just means good news and in the Bible it's the good news about the salvation God's provided through Jesus and it's interesting this word in Greek it's um, euangelion which sounds a little like evangelism Um, so that word was not invented by Bible writers. It was already used in Rome, and it meant glad tidings, and it was used to um, sort of share these glad tidings about a birthday or a rise to power or a decree of the emperor to declare hope, peace, and well-being in the world. And so Mark, when he writes his gospel, he uses this word, implying that the good news about Jesus Christ is actually the kind of news that will change the face of the whole world in a way that no earthly king could ever do. So they're using this word that sort of was related to the Roman Empire and related to the Caesars, related to the emperors, and saying, no, Jesus is the real king. Jesus is the real hope that brings about lasting change. Um, And then faith is belief and trust and confidence. And um, in the Bible, we see these relationships between faith and works. And Paul is really the one who kind of um, shows us that righteousness and um, right standing before God is received by faith. And that faith... um, Although works don't earn us salvation, um, faith will lead us to obedience and to changed character. Um, And so faith kind of leads us to doing works, um, even though works aren't what save us. Um, And so let's go ahead and review our five W's in the book of Romans. Um, And you certainly don't have to, but I wrote them out in the front of my journal so that I can remember them as we study Romans this year. Um, So just a brief overview. The who is the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome. The what is a letter um, in the Bible genre for a letter. We usually call them epistles. And this letter reads more like a lecture or a persuasive essay than a lot of the other letters. The when is around 57 to 58 AD, and the where is likely from the city of Corinth to the church in Rome. Um, The why is Paul wants to announce his intention to visit the Roman church, and he wants to explain the gospel. Um, So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 7 in chapter 1. And then we're going to break it down a little bit more just because it's like my dad said last week, run on, run on, run on. Like that's what your teacher would write about this particular section because 
at least in the ESV and probably in the Greek, I haven't looked it up. This is a run-on sentence. This, all these seven verses are one sentence. <laughs> um, so Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So basically... Verse 1 says Paul, and then verse 7 says to all those in Rome. So everything in the middle is a whole lot of content. Um, and I just thought it would be fun to make a chart. So this is really tiny on the screen. But he says Paul, who is a servant of Jesus Christ and an apostle. So he's those two things. And then the apostleship means that he set apart for sharing the gospel of God. And then the gospel of God was promised in scripture. And it shows, it talks about God's son, those scriptures. And then that portion kind of um, breaks off, I saw, that God's son is proven to be the Son of God by the Spirit of Holiness and the Resurrection from the Dead. And then God, um, Jesus is also a human through the line of David. So it kind of shows both natures of Christ. So Jesus was fully human and fully God. And then Jesus Christ gives Paul grace and apostleship. And that apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith in all nations which include you, Romans, the people in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Um, I don't know if that makes it any less confusing, but to me, it kind of made sense to make a little chart and sort of see where all of these things break off. Um, and yeah, how Paul is sort of making sense. He's already making sense of the gospel before he even starts sharing the gospel, just in this greeting. Um, and reminders about who Paul is, he's formerly somebody who persecuted, uh, persecuted Christians. Um, we see that in Acts 7, he was the man who stood alongside as um, Stephen gave this amazing testimony and um, sermon, really, on who Jesus was, and then... The people were so angry with him, they dragged him out and started stoning him to death. And it says a young man named Paul stood by while the witnesses tossed their coats at his feet. And so Paul at least witnessed the death of Stephen. And um, in Galatians, Paul talks about how he wanted Christianity exterminated, that he wanted it to be completely wiped out. Um, but his encounter with Jesus changed his life and changed him into an apostle, um, which just means sent one. And so he served as 
a father in the church. He was a church planter, a missionary, a teacher, and he's credited with writing somewhere between 13 and 14 books of the New Testament, one of which is Romans, um, that we're studying together. So I want to go ahead and read verses 8 through 17 now, and um, we'll talk a little bit more about Paul and his why and what of Romans. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, um, just a few items to notice. The why is mentioned here. Paul says that he's writing because he has wanted to come visit them and he wants to let them know that he wants to come visit them <clears throat> and that he's been prevented from coming in the past. Um, and that he also wants to preach the gospel in Rome. Um, and that he wants to find some sort of harvest, or the word can also be translated fruit. Um, he wants to find some fruit among them and also the rest of the Gentiles. And so he wants this mutual encouragement to happen between him and the people in Rome that are part of the church already. And then he wants to reap a harvest or find some fruit with the rest of the Gentiles who live in Rome. So the people who haven't yet heard the message, he wants to share with them as well. Um, and then the what here, most scholars and Bible teachers that I've read consider verses 16 through 17 Paul's thesis statement and that they sort of sum up everything that's going to be written in Romans and that they may even sum up everything that Paul thinks about God. They may sum up Paul's entire theology. Um, I also want us to notice how warm Paul is toward these people in Rome. He's never met them before. He's never visited Rome. He didn't plant this church like he planted so many others that he wrote letters to. Um, so he's warm to them and he says he prays for them constantly. Now, if I said I prayed for somebody constantly, I would be a liar <laughs> because I don't really pray for people constantly. And he says that he does it without ceasing, which I might think was an exaggeration, except he says, God is my witness. Now, if I were saying God is my witness, I would be truthful about it, right? <laughs> so Paul really is praying for the Romans and praying for some way to get to Rome. Um, 
he's also humble in this section um and i think that that's shown by him saying that he wants to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith that he doesn't only want to impart some sort of spiritual gift to them but he wants to be encouraged by their faith and like he says in verse 8 he thanks god because their faith is being proclaimed in all of the world so the faith that the roman church had paul's heard about it other people that he's known have heard about it probably the other cities that he's been to have heard about the romans faith and so he wants to be encouraged by them and he could have been the opposite as an apostle as somebody who's planted so many churches and um, really as an authority in the church and has had so many converts um, to christianity he could be the opposite he could think i'm pretty hot stuff and you guys really need to hear from me but instead he says he wants to be strengthened by them and encouraged by them as well um he's also pretty insistent that he has been meaning to come to them and we're not really sure why he's so insistent but he is a very important figure in the church and so maybe the romans are wondering You've been to all of these other big cities. You've planted churches in other cities. How come you haven't come to see us? He doesn't say he's answering that question, but maybe there is some sort of question out there of like, maybe the Romans are wondering why hasn't Paul come to us? And Paul has been pretty um, strategic in all of his church planting by planting in big cities. And um, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome all of the roads lead to Rome from the cities that he planted in. And so he planted in big cities and then let the people who were um, Jesus followers in those cities sort of travel off to the outskirts and to the countryside and to the smaller areas. And so Paul was strategic. He was trying to make um, inroads in these metropolises. Um, and Paul's plan at this point is to take a fourth missionary trip. So this takes place on his third missionary trip, and he's probably in Corinth, um, like I mentioned, in our five W's. And people estimate that he was probably about 60 years old at this point. He's been um, a Christian for about, I don't know, 25 years or something like that, and he's gone on a lot of journeys and planted a lot of churches um and now his plan is to take an offering to jerusalem um and then he says this is in chapter 15 of romans he says that he wants to go to jerusalem stop in rome and he stop um excuse me rome isn't where he wants to stop forever he wants that to be pretty brief because his plans are to get to spain and so he wants to take the gospel even further um, and reach people everywhere, everywhere in the known world, all over the Roman Empire and beyond. Um, so that puts it into a little more context for us. And Paul's plan for a fourth missionary trip is going to be thwarted. Um, Charles Spurgeon 
um, who was an English Bible preacher from the 1800s, he says this, um, I do not suppose that Paul guessed that he would be sent there to Rome at the government's expense, but he was. The Roman Empire had to find a ship for him and a fit escort for him too, and he entered the city as an ambassador in bonds. When our hearts are set on a thing and we pray for it, God may grant us the blessing, but it may be in a way that we never looked for. You shall go to Rome, Paul, but you shall go in chains. And so when Paul does make it to Rome in around 60 or 61 AD, um, a few years after writing this letter, he gets there under house arrest. He gets there as a prisoner. Um, and that probably was not his plan on how to get to Rome, but that's how he makes it there. Um, I was sort of questioning and wondering about persecution of Christians. How early did that happen? Was that happening now? And um, from what we can read in history, it was happening, but not um, statewide. It wasn't happening on the Roman government's authority during the time of this writing. Um, it was more like smaller groups were attacking Christians and Jews and Christians were having issues. Um, and so there was persecution, but it wasn't happening from the emperor. That doesn't happen until around 64 AD. So like six or seven years after the book of Romans was written. Um, and that was under Emperor Nero, who blamed Christians for this, the great fire of Rome. And he had a whole bunch of Christians killed. And then Paul was also, according to church tradition, we don't have this in the Bible um, or in official history books, but traditionally it's believed that Paul was beheaded by Nero or Nero's lackeys, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, um, henchmen, Nero's henchmen, sometime between 64 and 67 AD. So, um, so that's sort of when the statewide persecution of Christians begins. But of course, it was risky and dangerous and daring to be a Christian. And Paul knew that, and he'd been imprisoned, and he'd been through so many things, and yet it was all worth it to Paul. He was completely <clears throat> willing to do everything for the gospel, to die for the gospel. Um, N.T. Wright says um, about Rome and about this passage in particular, he says, fancy writing like this to Rome of all places, the greatest city in the world at the time, the home of the most powerful man in the world, the Caesar, whose official titles included son of God, whose birthday was hailed as good news or gospel, and who claimed allegiance, the loyalty of the greatest empire the world had ever seen. But Paul knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus is the true king, the world's rightful Lord, and it is vital that the Christians in Rome itself know this and live by it. And so Paul is taking a huge risk by even wording it this way. He knows he's using son of God and gospel, and that these words apply to the Caesar and apply to the Roman Empire. But he knows that Jesus is the true king. Um, and he says that it's urgent. He says that he has zero shame. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
He knows that this good news is going to change world history. It already has, and humankind has been eternally changed because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that brings us to verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So I did another little sentence tree here because there's a lot packed into these two verses as well. Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel, and he explains that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to Jews and Greeks, to Jews and non-Jews, and he says that the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. And so the righteousness of God, um, I just wanted to talk about that as the last thing for tonight. Um, The righteousness of God is, as I was reading and studying, this is the thing that got Martin Luther hung up. He said, well, if God is righteous, then he's angry with me because I can never be righteous on my own. He's all good. He knows what's right and wrong. He determines what's right and wrong. And I'm all wrong. I'm sinful and terrible. And if the gospel reveals God's righteousness, then it just shows me that I'm bad and I'll never be able to earn um, right standing before God. And then as he read this from faith for faith and that the righteous shall live by faith, when he started to understand that, he realized that God had given him righteousness through Jesus. Um, And so I thought that this was a cool quote, um, that the gospel reveals what God is like as well as what God will give. It demonstrates who God is in addition to what he does. The righteousness of God, which the gospel reveals, is an expression so full of meaning that it would be true to say that the rest of Romans is designed to explain it. But at this point, at the very beginning of our study, we should content ourselves with the understanding that the righteousness of God in Romans primarily means that God is always in the right and can be relied upon therefore to do what is right for the simple reason that what is right can be determined only with reference to him and so God saw that it was right to send his son Jesus to bring us into into right relationship with him to sort of bridge that gap and to um, bring us back into his family and bring us back into his love and to full acceptance before God. Um, And so when I think of the righteousness of God, I think about God being the keeper of his promises and that God does what he says he'll do and that all of that is proven through Jesus Christ. Um, 
And so this is the message that Paul thought was worth worth taking everywhere, worth taking on three missionary journeys and possibly a fourth, maybe after his house arrest, he was free for a little bit. Who knows? He might have made it to Spain, but then he ends up in Rome again at some point and is beheaded there. Um, this was the message worth dying for, that Jesus came for everyone who would believe, everyone who has faith, um, everyone who's going to lean into Christ um, and be into Christ. <laughs> um, and be all about it so the question this week and these ones are just to ponder um, I don't know if we will come back to them next week and actually discuss them out loud or if you just want to take these home with you but um, it was risky and daring for Paul to share but share the gospel with people, and it was probably risky to be a Christian, especially in the capital of the empire in Rome. So in what ways is it risky or daring to be a Christian in your community today? And what have you or what do you believe in enough to die for it?